Since 1973, a number of key court cases have recognized Aboriginal title and other rights to land and resources. These cases have set the terms of engagement between the Crown and Indigenous peoples around subsistence harvesting and access to and development of land. It is important to provide a little background on Aboriginal title. Aboriginal title refers to the right that Indigenous peoples have to land, as opposed to mere privileges to certain practices such as hunting and fishing. Canadian law has recognized Aboriginal title as a unique right held by constitutionally recognized Aboriginal peoples over the use and jurisdiction over specific parcels of land. Like all Aboriginal rights, Aboriginal title is an inherent right. This means that it exists because Indigenous peoples have occupied and used their territories since time immemorial, according to their own legal systems. Thus, Aboriginal rights are not granted by the Canadian state, but recognized and affirmed by it. The Calder case was a landmark case led by Frank Calder and other Nishka elders. They sued the government of British Columbia, claiming that title to their lands had never been extinguished by treaty or any other means. The BC Court of Appeal rejected the claim. However, the appeal to the BC Supreme Court ruled that Aboriginal title to land had existed at the time of the Royal Proclamation in 1763. The court further found that First Nations claim to title did not have to find their source in the Royal Proclamation. This finding effectively overturned law that had existed since 1888 when the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council, one of the highest courts in the United Kingdom, affirmed a ruling by the Supreme Court of Canada. The Privy Council affirmed that Aboriginal title existed at the goodwill of the Crown, as was evidenced by the Crown setting aside Aboriginal hunting territories in the Royal Proclamation in 1763. The ruling in Calder held that Indian title was rooted in occupation, position, and land use. Specifically, Indian title was a legal right independent of any form of enactment and rooted in Aboriginal people's historic occupation, possession, and use of traditional territories. As such, title existed at the time of first contact with Europeans, whether or not it was recognized by them. This was a significant improvement in the law but the Supreme Court also indicated that the Crown could extinguish Aboriginal title. In 1956, the Musqueam Indian Ban was approached by the Department of Indian Affairs to get consent for the lease of reserve lands to a golf course. The Ban was told that they would receive revenue from the lease and agreed to the deal. After the agreement was made, the DIA went back to the golf course and renegotiated very different terms than what Musqueam had agreed to. These changes were kept from the band for 12 years. When the band found out what had happened, they began looking for a lawyer to take on the case. The case was finally filed in 1975 and went through three courts before a ruling in favor of Musqueam resulted in the compensation of $10 million to the band. The government appealed the ruling and compensation was withheld. The band then appealed to the Supreme Court. In 1984, the Supreme Court ruled that the Crown did not fulfill its fiduciary duty to the band. Fiduciary duty is the responsibility that the government has to act in the best interest and in a trust-like relationship with Indigenous peoples. Future Aboriginal rights cases and the protection of Aboriginal rights has been subsequently influenced by the concept of fiduciary duty as set out in this case. 
This is important because the Canadian Constitution states that the Crown can only acquire land from First Nations through treaty making. Otherwise, First Nations are not to be disturbed in their use of the land. In 1984, a group of Gitsan and Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs claimed ownership of and jurisdiction over 58,000 square kilometers in British Columbia, an area which encompassed traditional territories of the Wet'suwet'en peoples and much of that of the Gitsan. They argued that since they had not signed treaty, they had never given up their rights. As governments usually do, the provincial government of British Columbia argued for exclusive ownership of the contested territories. They asked the court for a declaration that the Gitsan and Wet'suwet'en had no rights to the territory. The case at the time, the largest in Canadian legal history, was eventually heard by the Supreme Court. When they handed down their decision, they made no decision on whether Gitsan or Wet'suwet'en had Aboriginal title, indicating that a new trial must be held. However, although the land claim was not decided, the Delgama Court made a number of significant statements about Aboriginal title to guide future courts in shaping how future cases might be approached. Delgamuk acknowledged that Aboriginal title is a communal right based on First Nations' cultural relationship to the land. The Supreme Court also stated that not enough consideration of the First Nations' oral histories was given in the first trial, raising its status as a legitimate form of legal evidence. The framework established in the Delgamuk judgment was relied upon to establish a right to Aboriginal title in 2014. In a case called Chilcotin Nation versus British Columbia, the Supreme Court of Canada declared that the Chilcotin had title to an area of land approximately 1,600 square kilometers. The declaration, the first of its kind in Canada, comprised 40% of the area claimed by the Chilcotin in that case. Achieving the first declaration of Aboriginal title, and at the same time having 60% of its claim rejected, serves to illustrate both the potential and the significant risks to First Nations peoples when pursuing rights through Canadian law. Mm -hmm.